I entitled the sermon today, Finding Joy. I think all of us here are either a half glass full kind of person or a half glass empty kind of person. And I gave my other Bible to someone, and so I'm still in the process of recopying my... I highlight verses that I memorize so that if I open my Bible up, I can you know, kind of review them. And so when I get to Philippians, and the only reason I'm picking on Alan is because he says it's the same thing that he struggles with, but I didn't have these verses marked that I learned. And one of them was Philippians 2.13, uh, actually Philippians, uh, shoot, Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I didn't have that marked. <laughs> I think you kind of know where I'm at. I'm a half glass the glass is half full, uh, excuse me, half empty instead of half full. And we're all on one of those things. And we drive each other nuts. The person that they always, that are Eeyore, is that, <laughs> okay, I know it's not my watch today. Uh, the, the person that is Eeyore off Winnie the Pooh that it's like, oh, life is so bad, I suppose. Or then you got the person that's Tigger that's jumping all around that drives you nuts. Each other drives each other nuts. But we've got to ask the question, regardless of what your base is or what you've learned, you know, how do you find joy? And we struggle to find true joy in the midst of the challenges of life, regardless of the circumstances. And you can choose... And I don't think you can use these words together. You can choose temporary joy, because I, I think that's an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. And so you're always going after the next thing that's going to bring you temporary happiness, or you can choose lasting, eternal joy in Christ. And so your action step today is find joy in Christ. Find joy in Christ. And your, your points are going to spell out the word find, F-I-N-D. And so looking back at the background of what we've studied so far, and I think it's kind of interesting, uh, as we are going through First Peter on Wednesday nights, we're building upon, this is what's important to look at what you've studied before, what's in front of the chapter and what's behind it. So you put into context. And so, you know, this is a passage and a book that's dealing with the trials and temptations. And... The goal that Peter wants is for believers to understand the joy that, that we should have joy and to understand that Jesus joy, you know, that's the song talks about down in our heart. You know, I've got the joy, joy, joy. And so he starts with, hey, this is to Christians. It applies to us and our brothers and sisters around the world who choose to be chosen, that God knows the choice he that you're going to make, but he doesn't make the choice for you, and they choose Christ as Savior, and now they have an inheritance that we talked about last week that we are waiting on that is kept by God and that no thief can destroy. But how can we wait when life is so hard? That's the question we're going to talk about today. How do we wait when life is so hard, and how do we wait in joy? And this next section, Peter is encouraging us that it's worth the wait when we find joy in Christ. And so that brings us to 1 Peter, verses 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so what we see here, uh, first of all, uh, joy, uh, the cause of our joy is this inheritance that we're looking for that is protected that nobody can take from us. And it, we are, that word joy means that we are to be supremely and abundantly happy, not based on the circumstances, but based on Christ. Again, we're not talking about that person, if you're a half-empty kind of person, this person that's jumping around, that may drive you nuts, that may need a little bit of medication to calm down. I don't know. <laughs> but we're talking about that joy that you have regardless of how you're expressing it in emotions. And so... Uh, this constant, continual joy, this happiness is, and is tested by uh, our faith. Results of a confident faith, of a proven faith. Life is full of trials and temptations, verse 6 is talking about. We don't like to hear that. I want, I want you to understand, God does not tempt us. God will never tempt us. He says that clearly. He tests us and he tries us to prove us and to grow us. And verse 6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So this is why we need to, what we talked about last week. The first part, in this we rejoice. We rejoice that we've chosen to be chosen, that we are saved and secure, and it's being kept in heaven. So this is the first part of 6. Rejoice in this. Be joyful in this that your future is secure regardless. But then you got a comment in verse 6. Though now for a little while, because we've chosen to be chosen, we have this inheritance that is kept secure so that it gives us a reason to rejoice. And in this we rejoice, we find this great gladness, this great joy. But then the circumstances, he says it's necessary, it must be. We're going to understand why here in verse 7. Why is it necessary that we have tests and that we have trials in life? And he goes on to say that it grieves us, that it makes us sad, that it makes us uncomfortable. I don't think, I mean, if you like tests and trials, man, kind of weird in the head, you know, that, that kind of thing. On the thing of, oh, I like it when it's rough and it's tough and it's hard and it's uncomfortable. But Jesus is saying there's a reason and this is necessary for you to be grieved, varied, various. Everybody here has something different going on in their life. And as Irma Bombeck said, the grass is always greener over the, over the other side of the septic tank. And what that's saying is we always think somebody's got a better life on the outside, especially Facebook. Facebook and social media, everybody is living large and no problems at all. But we all know that that's not true. But everybody here has a very test, a personal test that is geared to the things that God wants to and to prove in you. So they're varied, they're trials. That word trial is an experiment with a goal to prove or test what we have is true. And notice, I'm so thankful for this, even though it doesn't feel We look at our lives and, 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 and you know, I think after the 
Uh, God said that uh, people would only age to 120 if, if that. Uh, and, but we think, oh, that's a long time, and, and it is for us, but then we don't think eternally. And so we're looking on a ruler, and we're gauging how long this is, and we see the numbers, and God doesn't even work in that. Outside of time. Eternity. Never ending. And so he says, you know, you, you need to have this. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be varied and personal for each person. And it is, to, is an experiment to prove your faith. And remember, it's only for a little while. And so your first feeling, we find joy in Christ when we find joy in the promise. That's the first part of six. In this. This is the problem. And this is what Satan wants to do. He wants you to focus on what's right in front of you. Or he wants you to look at the peripheral on what's on the side. And this is why I've had to learn verses like Isaiah 26, 3. He will keep a perfect peace. All whose thoughts are fixed on him. Philippians 2, uh, 3, uh, 13 and 14. Look into Jesus, the author. Uh, no, that's uh, Hebrews. But Philippians says, you know, they lay aside uh, talking about pressing on towards the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. Focus. Focus on the promise. That's why he starts in verse 6. In this, in this inheritance, is what you need to focus on. And you need to find, yes, it stinks right now. Or it might, nothing might be happening right now. But my joy is in the eternal. My joy is in I won't be dealing with this anymore. I won't be struggling with this anymore. And that it's being kept in heaven and choosing to be chosen, and waiting for their reward, and the promise of salvation. So what is the result of this? Let's look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The test, to be examined, to be proven. Don't know much about gold, don't really have any gold, okay? Maybe just be wearing on my ring and that's it, okay? But, you know, I like that show. I don't watch it as much anymore, Gold Rush. And, boy, those guys, I tell you what, some of them do good, some of them don't. But when Todd was on there, it's like, man, somebody needed to tell Todd not to do that because they just kept having all these failures. And, at the, and they'd have these contests, and a, they, were having, they were finding gold in Alaska. There was three groups, and who got the most gold at the end of the season because it was going to freeze up and all this kind of stuff. And when they get to the end, they take their gold, and they melt it down into a bar. And when you watch them melt it, uh, melt it down, you see this junk come off of the gold. That's the dross. That's the stuff that's not gold. And this is what God is saying. And we're going to talk about this test by fire. And there's going to be two judgments. And we're all going to face at least the first judgment. If you're going to face the second judgment if you don't choose to be chosen by Christ and choose salvation in Christ. But this first one that we'll talk about in a little bit is the testing by fire. Now, and this is the example he's using. That trial, it gets a little hot. It gets a little uncomfortable. He's trying to get that sin stuff out of our lives and get to the purity of following God and focused on God. And so it, it, he uses the example of gold. And so you test to examine, to be proven. And then the word genuineness means to be proven also. So two times he's saying this test is to prove, and we'll get into what in a little bit. Here it is, your faith. Who are you believing in? Who are you trusting in? We all can talk a big talk and do a big game 
And, but when the heat comes on and it gets uncomfortable, and this is what I feel is happening in America now, because I, I think if you're going to follow God in America, it is not popular. It doesn't mean that you go with everything the Bible says up front, because people's problem is their sin nature and need Christ. But they don't want to even hear that they could be wrong and that they need to answer to somebody. They believe that they're their own God, the sin of self. And so what we see here is that there are going to be these trials. And if we stand for God and speak the whole word of God, people are not going to like it. No matter how lovingly I can do it, no matter how I don't force it upon them, they're not going to like it. And so this is testing our faith. Am I going to trust God if it comes to my family? Am I going to trust God? Do I believe him enough? Do I have faith in him enough? And again, he used the words test and genuine and tried, and they all mean to prove. To prove the genuineness of your faith in God. All of us will be tested. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says this, and this is the, the, the judgment that we all will face, and there are two judgments. Each, each one's work will be manifest on the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Not saved by works according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but according to 1 Corinthians 13, that holy fire is going to hit and everything you've done is going to hit it and if it's for God, it's going to go up as a sweet aroma to heaven, a sacrifice, and if it's not, it's going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble and some people are going to get to heaven smelling like they should be in the smoking section. Because all they did, they were saved by grace, they didn't really do anything for God. They were an earthy kind of Christian, you know. And the, the fire of God's judgment will test the genuineness of our faith. This testing, according to James 1, 3, 3, produces an end product. James 1, 3 says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I know you guys use that word all the time. Oh, I need that steadfastness. You are so steadfast, you know. It means endurance, and that's something that God's been hitting me on this week in devotions and stuff like that when people do things that I don't like that are hurtful, and then I, I read my devotion, and it talks about, well, God's trying to build your endurance so you don't smack them, I added that part, but, or, or you don't get sarcastic with them, or you don't tell them, hey, let me tell you how the cow eats the cabbage, okay? Um, but this endurance, God uses this to make us clean and pure, to make us trust him more and more. We are tried to show who we follow, who we praise, who we honor, who we give glory to, Christ. That's the goal. They're asking the question, why are they not reacting? Why are they still doing this? Why are they still here? Not because of anything I can do, but the power of the Holy Spirit and God helping me to endure because I'm looking towards the promise that now is not all there is. Perspective. And John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I am sharing scripture that either God is a lunatic, a liar, or he told the truth. And if he told the truth and we're going to trust him, then it's settled. You need to make the decision, I'm going to go with God's word. And if God says, endure, you will be tested, and we'll get the rest of this. We need to trust him in that. 
So what does it look like? Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We, uh, we love Christ even though we haven't seen him. And I'm not saying you can't. According to scripture, we know we're going to see him again. I'm not saying you can't see an angel, and I'm not saying God can't speak to you, but I would say I'm pretty safe in saying nobody here has seen Christ. Okay? But yet, you guys are here on a Sunday morning listening to me. Why? Because you love Christ, or you want to know about Christ. And so we love Christ even though we have not seen him. Uh, we welcome Christ in our life even, uh, even though we have not seen him. And that word, we entertain Christ in the home of our life even though we have not seen him. That book, a wonderful book we went through a long time ago, My Heart, Christ's Home, talking about our heart and that we let Christ into the core of who we are in every part even though we have not seen him. So what does this faith involve? Loving Christ unashamed, loving Christ extravagantly, loving this unbridled love. It's a passion for Christ. And that's another word that we don't use. And a lot of us have been to a passion play either in, in, in Eureka Springs or different places. In Germany they have them and all these kind of things. And then we have the movie that was really good, The Passion of the Christ, and really, honestly, haven't stopped it. Why do they, why do they say that? Because we, we talked about on Wednesday nights, the four questions of, of, of Bible studies, what does it say? What does it mean? How would you say it? I believe today, I could be wrong, but the word passion, would, we wouldn't understand what he's talking about here. But when we have a, what is the passion of Christ? Us. To do the will of the Father. To save us. That's what it means. And so what, he's, what this word love is talking about, though you have not seen him, you love him. You have a passion about him. Let's translate that today. The passion is what you talk about. You don't have to be forced to talk about it. It seems to be ready on your lips. It seems to be what you want to spend your time with. It is a passion. Speaking of passion, my grandkids. Okay, well, you, you brought it up. No, not really. But... You know, we get to FaceTime them uh, about every day, and so our grandsons learn to put a hat on. You say, well, boy, he must not be that smart, but a little two-year-old to put a hat on. And he's teasing around, he's putting it on his foot and all those kind of things. But that passion to, to get that phone call every day and to talk to them, and, 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 Grant, and Nana, Heather's way better than me because he has these list of books that he wants her to read every time, and she's read them one million times. Uh, you know, it's like every day. But why? we have a passion but you know what that's just a person and that's okay but we need to have a passion for Christ that says regardless I'm going with you regardless he's natural on our lips but everybody is looking to the side they're not looking at Christ and they're hearing the little chihuahuas chopping at their feet say distracting you from the fact of the power in the name of Jesus there's Healing in the name of Jesus. And the devil does not want us to be passionate about Christ because that passion says, I'm going this way instead of that way. I'm going to give a reason for the hope that I have. And so that's a question we need to ask. How passionate are you about Christ? Does he easily fall on your lips? Does he come up first when you're trying to make any decision in your life 
on honoring before people, before things, before anything. And so that involves an extravagant passion. We show this passion when we obey Christ. We show this passion. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments when he keeps his, his commandments. When we turn from temptation to him, instead of, I, I want to do this even though it's wrong. And, and, and the Bible says clearly sin, I'm abbreviating, is fun for a season, but there's a cost. What you sow, you will reap. But they were willing to repent and turn from that temptation and focus on Christ, that's a passion. And to walk with Him through all the tri trials of life. We say walk with Him, but He is walking with us. We're abiding in Him. The, this is a passion for Christ. Our love for Christ allows us to stand up through the, the trials and temptations. And so your next fill-in, we find joy in Christ by being in love with Christ. I'm going to be honest with you. Those are, that's a bold statement. And the word passion is a bold statement. And I want to say that I'm passionate about Christ, but talking to you about this and bringing it up, I, I feel I need to be more passionate. And that doesn't mean you're hitting people over the head, but why is my life per, verse Matthew 6.33? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But so many times, I don't put Him first. And so, I know you love Jesus. Are you in love with Jesus? And are you falling more in love with Jesus? Do you have a passion? Is he your passion? If we're passionate about Christ, we believe in his ability to help us endure. I love Christ. He's the one that drives my life. If, if you are passionate about Christ, that he is your everything, then I think you're going to believe him. And notice the second part of verse 8. You believe, though, you have not, though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. You have faith. You trust Him to keep you and to keep your inheritance regardless of what you're going through. God's got it. And to, that brings your next fill-in. To find joy in Christ, we need to trust Christ. We need to believe in Christ. We need to have Faith in Christ. We really focus on uh, in American culture about people getting saved. That's a good thing because he gives us the Great Commission and we're to go tell that people need to be saved from eternal punishment, hell, and that Christ has given his life. But we, need to, we ignore the second part of the Great Commission when he talks about go and baptizing and then the second part is discipleship, being a follower of Christ, abiding in the trials and temptations of life. That as we go... So, so many times we have faith in Christ to save us. We don't have faith in Christ. Help me to endure. Now, we don't like this. But you look at the 23rd Psalm, and you look at all the things that he's going through, and we only just focus on the death part of it. But that you can sit down in the presence of your enemies and eat a meal. That's trusting Christ. There, I don't want to feel that I have enemies, but I have been in a lot of uncomfortable situations. And I pray that Carrie Underwood prayer, Jesus take the will a lot. I don't say it that way, but you know, on the fact of God, I don't know what to do. And honestly, I don't want to go in there, but I know that this is the right thing to do or that you want me to be there, so I need you to take this. See, here's the issue, Christians. We a lot of times trust Jesus to save us, but how are you trusting him and having faith in him and what you're dealing with right now? We need to believe. 
We need to trust Christ. John 20, 29 says this, Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. That's me. That we have not seen Jesus and we believed. And he says we are blessed for that. And, I want, and Jesus said that to encourage us. When we are passionate about Christ, we have faith in Christ, and our natural response is joy. Look at the last part of verse 8. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Rejoice, that means to be exceedingly glad. We don't use words like that today. But that means, and I don't even want to use the word happy because I think joy goes beyond that, but the way our society understands it, you're really happy. You're really content. It's not just so-so and temporary. It's exceedingly. It's abundantly. And that word joy means great gladness. Again, exceedingly. Great. Not so-so. Not temporary. So much, so much to the point where you can't express it with words. You ever been there before? The announcement of a child or a grandchild or I don't know something good in life and it left you speechless we got to think about this for a little bit this challenges me too when's the last time the joy that is being kept by Christ has taken your breath away and yet we get so joyous about the minimal things of life instead of when's the last time he took your breath away because I'm saved I'm a joint heir with Christ. And regardless of what happens, God wins. Joy unspeakable and full of glory to the point that we want to praise God. And how did we begin First Peter? It said, bless God the Father. Praise God the Father. This is what he's talking about here. Christ has saved me. Christ is keeping this. Christ is there with me through these trials to prove my faith. I will give him glory. Fox's book uh, of Martyrs and, and Voice of the Martyrs encourage you to, to get into that. It's really good stuff, but you see those that have died for their faith, that they were weak like we were, but God gave them the strength to give him glory in the midst of things that may have led to their death. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, finding salvation in the promise, finding Christ in the passion, finding faith, believing in Christ, leads us to your next one, D, leads us to demonstrate unspeakable joy. Do I understand all that? Not at all. But I think it's the fact that your life goes deeper than your circumstances. Regardless, we glorify God. The joy, 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 joy down in our heart. Where? Down in our heart to stay. Why? Because of Jesus. This joy causes us to be passionate about Christ, to believe Christ, to rejoice in Christ, and to focus on Christ. See, see what we're dealing with? He starts in verse 6. In this, we need to focus that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and God is doing this to grow us. But Satan wants you to focus on the immediate and what's going on around you. And boy, I think he's, I don't want to say he's doing a good job, but I feel it's been on the increase. We started with the pandemic. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's not just that. Anything he wants us to fear and not find our joy in Christ. 
when we do it, it stirs it. When we find and focus on Christ, it stirs us to stand in the various trials and temptations of life. And then you see the end result because we are looking forward to the outcome of the trials. Look at verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He starts with, in this, you rejoice. You don't focus on what's going on in your life, and you focus on the goal. As he said in Hebrews, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We will obtain, we will receive the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And this, this is the joy of Christ fulfilled. So, what's been trying to steal your joy? And if it is, we're focused on the wrong thing. I hate dealing with cars. I hate when the engine light comes on because I take it as a personal responsibility that my man card, I have to take care of my family and their vehicles. And we're down to one vehicle that's working right, <laughs> okay? And God's been teaching me Psalms 112.7. He is not afraid of bad news for his heart is firm because he trusts in the Lord. He's been teaching me that for a while because are you like that person where your glass is half empty and it's not just about cars or whatever, but when somebody says, I need to talk to you about something or wait a minute, you're like, okay, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. And Psalms 112, 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm because he trusts in the Lord. So my car has been having major problems, been dealing with it for two months and thought it was getting better. It got worse. Try to find a mechanic you trust, all this kind of stuff. This new mechanic seems pretty trustworthy. You know, I am having him check out the car. He gives me the phone call, and it's not good news. Now, I'm not saying I liked it. Didn't. But I knew God was changing me in that because the mechanic was saying, he's a young guy, he was saying, I was really scared to call you and talk to you. And I said, well, I don't like this. I mean, it's horrible. But, so, but God's teaching me Psalms 112.7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm because he trusts in the Lord. While I don't like it, it's just a car. There'll be other cars. And God provides. But what we need to, but that's a trial. And poor me, I'm not trying to play a violin. But I'm trying to get you what, to understand what God is teaching you. See what God was trying to grow me? He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm because he trusts in the Lord. Certain people that when they call me and text me, I know it's not going to be good. <laughs> I know it's just like, okay, how else are you going to kick me? How else are you going to do this? His heart is firm because he trusts in the Lord. He is not afraid of bad news. That is how God is trying to teach me not to focus. That is the trial right now that I don't. I focused on who's walking through me, who provides for me, and what really matters. So what do you, that, that's nothing compared to what a lot of you have gone through or you're going through. That's nothing. But the question I have for you, whether your glass is half full or half in, empty, where are you finding joy? Because if you're not finding joy in Jesus Christ, it's not joy. How passionate are you for him? First of all, you need the promise of Christ. And we have a time of invitation here in a moment. I want you to come and receive the promise of Christ that you can be saved because right now you're headed for eternal punishment, which is hell. Jesus' words, not mine. And
choose to be chosen. He knows who's going to choose Him, but He doesn't make that choice. So I'm telling you today, come to Christ, receive Him, and be saved. Most of you have done that. But are you focusing on the promise, Christian? Or are you listening to, it's going to be how much? I'm going to have to do this? How passionate are you? I need to be way more passionate about Jesus than a lot of things I'm passionate about. Who are you trusting? Once I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the godly forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. Psalms 137.25. Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I have learned those because there's been times in my life and trials when how's this going to happen, God? And do you have real joy? As we stand on our feet and we have a time of invitation, what do you need to come and lay down? He says, take up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow Him. And the only way you can do that every day is if you find true joy in Christ. Lord, I pray whatever we're trying to find in, I pray where our passion is not focused on you or where we're trusting in our bank account or in other people that we find our joy in you. Whatever we need to do, whether pray here, make decisions, dear Lord, may we find our joy in you. In your name, Jesus, amen.